You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Am I on or do I need to? Am I good? Okay. All right. Awesome. Make sure I touch the button. I would, whoa, I'd much rather have a... Like worship with Joel and his homies than just me preach, but you know it's it's gonna happen. Like we're just going downhill from Joel, okay? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I hope not. I hope not. I hope I get to be a blessing to you. And I'll tell you a little bit about who I am. Y'all are my people over here. Whoever's like, you know, like that's my jam, right? Like let's go. Like let's get into it. Like God's too good to just like sit, right? So. uh uh, like we, the church that I just love dearly, one of my mentors, he, we were, we were raised Southern Baptist, but he always said we're Baptocostal. And like, we just kind of get out of that mold and kind of break dance for Jesus a little bit. So I love it. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's hard to not be excited when you know who Jesus really is. Right. And so with that being said, my name is Mark. Uh, I am from Florida, uh, in the last couple of services, Kenny mentioned, I don't know if you, I don't think he mentioned it in this one. I was talking to some people from the last service. And uh, so I was supposed to come last year to D-Now and a hurricane hit, which happens every year. It just so happened that it worked out. It didn't hit us where we were at this year. And so uh, thankfully, you know, it was really cool that they, they kind of kept their word and were willing to bring me in this year because last year we got hit by a big hurricane and kind of flooded the town. Um, we, we personally didn't get flooded, but we lost power for a long time. And uh, so I was trying to work it out to get here, but then I would have left my wife and kids in the dark for a week. And that wasn't real, wasn't real good of me. So, um, so yeah, so now I'm here, praise the Lord and God's been good. And a lot's happened in a year. And, uh, last year, if I would have been here last year, I still would have been on staff at a church. And I'll tell you kind of the story behind that. So, um, your pastor, Chris, and I met many years ago, and uh, and he saw me and fell in love with me, and was like, "I just, he's my best friend." Something like that, right? I, okay, okay, all right. So, so uh, yeah, so he stalked me on social media and all that. No, <laughs> uh, no, he's awesome. And uh, when I met his family, actually, his daughter was like a sophomore, and his son was like, I think, a sixth grader, and now they're all grown up and yeah. like, what, you know? And they need to get right with Jesus because they're going to schools that I don't like. But <laughs> no. one of them's at Baylor. So Baylor, Waco, that's where my wife's from. So, you know, I did I did life right. I married a Texan. And so, that's you know, this makes me cooler, right? It makes it a little more relevant to you, I hope. Uh, so you can appreciate that. Um, and so but I was born and raised in Florida in Jacksonville, uh, a true southern city. It was, you know, home of the Jaguars. All right. Okay. And uh, so... Um, we, well, I was raised there, met my wife, uh, came to the promised land in, uh, whenever that was those years ago. Now I'm trying to think of the timeline. We got married and went to left Waco for, um, St. Augustine, Florida. Anybody ever been there? Just curious. Okay. So really cool city, right? A lot of history. If you like history, um, a lot of great restaurants, um, that I visit too often. And then, uh, after that, God called us to Dallas. Um, I'm trying to think here. 20, what was it 2004? And so then we were in Dallas for 10 years. In 2017, God put us back in Florida. So I just like to shake up my wife's life a lot and just move her around. 
right? I tease her and bring her back to Texas, and I'm like, yeah, we're not retiring here. Let's go again, right? So, uh, no, it's been good, and God's been good. And so, after 18 years of full-time student ministry and young adult ministry, God really shook up our life uh, last September, and um, literally with a hurricane, and then spiritually, like to say, hey, uh, I'm calling you to something different. And he, when it happened, I was like, you, you ever been burnt out in life? You're just like tired. You're like, can I just tap out just for like a week? Just nobody talk to me. Like I was like that. I was burnt out, I was tired and uh, frustrated. I was, I was think I was more like angry to do stuff than I was doing it with the joy of the Lord. And, and the Lord kind of rocked my world and, and just basically forced me out of vocational ministry and evangelism, but also gave me a really cool opportunity. And uh, so I don't know if you're an outdoorsman or outdoors woman in here. I love the outdoors. I just feel like that's where, you know, we know, hey, look, it tells us in Scripture we will see God even in creation. And so um, especially fishing. Praise the Lord. So I love to fish, born and raised fishing. I think I'm the fish whisperer in my family. I'm proud of that. I can find the fish, and I was like, man, God, what are you doing with this? Because this is like this is something you put in my life I love to fish. And so I always kind of had this idea, like, how do I mix ministry and fishing? And um, and so because it sounds so biblical, <laughs> let's be real. I mean, the disciples were fishermen. And so so in uh, September, uh, when God called me on vocational ministry, it kind of rocked our world because I was like, what are, what are we doing? Like, like, what are we going to do? And he quickly helped me realize it wasn't to move because God called us to the city we're in. So kind of give you a little bit of history of the, the city. And, like, the city wasn't even incorporated until, like, I think, 99. And so it was, like, this, this weird, transient kind of city between St. Augustine and Daytona Beach, Florida. And it was just people that retired to escape their children and grandchildren, right? <laughs> they were like, oh, just give me away. They can come visit. And so it was a golf community, a beach community, all this. And... And it started small, but now we have over 100,000 people, large in part because their kids and grandkids followed them there, right? And so now we have two high schools that have a couple thousand each, a few middle schools that have a, a couple thousand each of them, and we have a couple Christian schools, um, different stuff. And it's pretty wild because you look at it, there's thousands upon thousands of kids 100,000 plus people. I've joked in every service and said I, I started this weekend telling the kids I come from a, I live in a small town. It's Palm Coast. It's 100,000. And they're like, what? <laughs> they're like, you know what a small town is? And I was like, well, I grew up in Jacksonville. It was a million plus. Dallas is like however many million because they don't even know where their line stops. They just merge with Fort Worth. And then uh, so I was in these big cities. So going to like Palm Coast was small to me. And you don't have to wait in all this traffic. And it's like, whoa, what's going on? I got somewhere actually on time by what my phone said, right? And so I moved to Palm Coast, and it was a complete, it's a completely lost city. I don't know how to explain it. Like 100,000 plus people, less than 10% are in churches. And out of that 10%, uh, there, there, there's every denomination and every belief system kind of mixed in that. So, you know, you, you name it, it's Catholicism, it's... It's Russian Orthodox. It's uh, there's Cambodian cultures. There's Haitians and uh, like th there's there's no Floridians. I'm the only Floridian in Palm Coast. I'm pretty sure. So when I talk and I have I, some people like in, in Florida, they tell me I have kind of a countryish accent. But then when I come back to Texas, I feel like I don't 
because my wife is texting and she draws all her eyes out. Or, ah, you know, and so it's what's so cute about her. And so we uh, we're in Palm Coast and I realize, OK, Lord, like this city, like they don't just not know. They don't they, they don't even really know who Jesus is at all. So when you have conversations, I mean, if, if we're not careful, we kind of get used to this idea. Like, OK, like and I think a lot of us know this, like. Texas, oftentimes, if you're outside of Texas, Texas is, you know, it's a proud state, right? You're proud people. I have Texans. I have two of my kids are Texans, born in Dallas. They've got it in them, right? And so, and then I have one sweet baby girl that's a Floridian. And so, and she's the most like me. You know, I don't know if it's the Florida thing or what, but she's the most like me, very much an extrovert. My other two are kind of more a little more chill like my wife and uh and that so um but yeah so when god called me out of vocational ministry he allowed me to start a fishing charter business and so i say that to say it was like i love i love to fish the fishing charter business is not for the guys that just love to fish because you don't fish much what you do is let other people fish and so and then you're just you're helping a lot of people getting tangled up in all your expensive stuff and and you like all that all that jazz so but what's been cool about it is I wanted a way to do ministry because I felt like my time had come where I'm like, Lord, you've called me into this city. And the way I can get into the culture is, is through what? And he said through this. And he opened up door after door after door for me to start this fishing charter business that's grown beyond that to where I can I get to work with ministries and take uh, boys out that don't have dads and it's a part of a thing that to be a blessing to them and this is stuff and it's just a brag on god because i just couldn't have done it without him so that's a way it helps us pay our bills as a family because evangelism isn't for the rich and famous maybe some televangelists but not this guy okay so i'm doing it just because god i feel like god's called us to it and he keeps opening up doors and it's, I'm telling you, for all of us, and that's what we're talking about today, it's just by this faith we walk. We don't walk by sight. Because God gives us what we need, not all that we want. And so, with that said, I want you to turn over to Matthew. And I'm going to read just a story to you and kind of give you some context around it. Uh, I've been blessed to be here this weekend with um, your, your students. And, uh, you know, I think students, it's funny because students get a bad rap. Which is weird because we all were students and we're like, why would you do that? And we look back and like, oh, we're also doing that. Right. And so we, we tend to kind of size them up and be, with this collective roll of the eyes and and the culture is like, hey, come to me. I'll I'll give you what you need. And they're like being pushed away. Right. So the culture gives them a million things that'll satisfy them. I talked to him about this weekend. This theme was unashamed and talking about how do you get to be unashamed there's got to be some things that that kind of like start before unashamed it's this first you deal with the issue of shame that we struggle with shame the enemy says it's not worth it our flesh tells us that we've gone through too much and god says he can redeem all that so when he saves us by his grace right we're saved not by anything we've done and then because of that we get to start to dig into who this God is. And when you start to pursue God, he starts to reveal himself to you more. There's to grow in your faith journey. And before you know it, without even realizing it, you're just living unashamed. It is not forced. It is not a requirement. It's a joy and it's a blessing to get to do so. So we don't have to live for Jesus. 
We should say we get to live for Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So with that said, hold your your finger on on the Matthew uh, Matthew uh, sixteen. Did I tell you all that already? Matthew six Matthew chapter sixteen verse thirteen. Because I want to read something to you that as I go around the churches I'm seeing, and this is it's a little it's a little freaky because. It's scary how much this is, if we, you know, we live in a culture where we talk about, we're, we're post-COVID world and things infiltrated and viruses and all that stuff. I'll tell you one thing that's plaguing the church, and I told the, the kids this yesterday, it's spiritual apathy. It's this complacency to say, okay, like we are, we exist to come to a church, a church, which this is not the church, this is the building, that we get to worship the Lord in and we should have respect to when we come here and all that. But like it's it's just a building at the end of the day. But God can meet us here. God can work in it. And I value the local church, right? I've been in it my whole life. But if we're not careful, we become apathetic, we become lazy, and we get used to stuff. And when God says, hey, I'm going to force you out of your comfort zone, you're like, hang on, God. I have conditions on my faith. Like as long as it's comfortable. Like let's not get crazy here. I'm this point in my life. I'm not going to become an evangelist. And God said your whole life should be evangelizing because it's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So if he's got you here, I said this in the last service, this songs we sing, it says it all over. If you're not dead, he's not done. We proclaim that in songs. And if I'm not dead, he's not done. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that means if he only needed to save you, he would save you and put you in heaven. But there's a reason he says we're the body of Christ. We have gifts and gifting, giftings that we're all different. My wife is an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I like to preach. She likes to sing. You switch those up, that's going to get crazy and ugly. And so, because you don't want to hear me sing. And it, but it's like, with all that, all that being said, we have different giftings and abilities. She's full of grace. I'm not. Right? I have to work on grace. She already just has it in her. So you gracious people, when you look at us, you're like, oh, what a spazzo. You know, like, like, sorry, that's hardwired, right? Like, I'm raised that way. I come from a mob mentality. I mean, so many trips and falls in our family, everyone's like, like, just sarcasm and just that's the way we are. So we love to kind of rib each other. That's the way we're at. So a lot of sarcasm comes from me. My wife is full of grace. So naturally, you know, uh, when, when two come together and joined in holy matrimony and all the fluff is gone, Reality hits, and when sarcasm comes to a lady full of grace, it doesn't always paint out the way you thought, right? So she has to realize, oh, okay, he doesn't hate me, and I don't, and I'm like, oh, she doesn't lack humor. Oh, we just are different people coming together as one, right? So God's working on us. So let me tell you something. That this is this is the crazy part. Before I get into Matthew, it's over into Second Timothy. You don't have to turn there, but if you listen to me, or if you want to make a note, Second Timothy three. It's talking about the godlessness in the last days. Now, we talked about the last days for a long time. We could be in them. I think we probably are in them. How long are the last days? We don't know. But what I would tell you this, this when I read this, if this doesn't sound like today, we're fooling ourselves, okay? It says this, understand that in the last days, there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. We all could stop there and say, that's true. Right. Then it says for for in these days, people will love themselves. They will love money. They will be proud. They'll be arrogant. They'll be abusive. They'll be disobedient to their parents and all other things. 
says they're ungrateful culture. They're unholy. They're heartless. They're unappeasable. That means they never get be happy. They're slanderous of many things. They lack self-control. They're brutal. They, they, uh, they have no loving goodness in them. It's treacherous their ways. They're reckless. They're conceited. They love pleasure rather than love God. They have an appearance, though, of godliness, but they deny its power. That sounds like the world we live in. I mean, they're, they love this stuff. They're proud. They're arrogant. We're in abuse. We're, this is an abusive culture. And so you look at all this stuff, and you're like, whoa. But then he says, it's, it's interesting that God tells us, like, but they say they love God, but they deny its power. Now, he's talking about the religious person that doesn't know God. The scary part about it is, if we're being really honest, we, we will often get influenced so much by culture that we're going we're gonna to start to kind of blur the lines of what that scripture says a little bit. We're going to start to look a little bit like, oh, yeah, we're religious until we leave. And then life gets real. And then I got to live life. God will be there on Sunday. That kind of thing. That kind of mentality of checking the box of, okay, God is God in the moment, but he's not the God of my life. That's a, that's too much. And so that's the culture we're living in. And so these, so the culture is saying, Hey, just kind of, kind of do your thing. Love God when it's convenient. Truth is subjective, all this stuff. And it's all a lie because there is an objective truth. There is a one true God. There is, this is where you find hope and joy and the world saying, hey, just be conveniently religious. And I think we're buying into it a little bit. Like when I go into churches and if we look at ourselves, what, what appeal? And I'm not trying to say we show off. But what about us when a lost person looks at our life, says, man, I want what they have. Like, do we look like Jesus? Do we have this joy of the Lord in our life to where people say, man, like, like that, that dude, that lady, that person has been through a lot of stuff. And they, they, every single day they wake up, there's a joy that's unspeakable. There's this contagiousness about who they are, and it's, it's not them, right? It's, it's who Christ is in their life. And so in Matthew 16... God, Jesus, makes us even more uncomfortable about his mission. So if you pick up in verse 13 of Matthew 16, it's kind of the focal point. We talked about being unashamed this weekend. This is, this is a call out of all of us as Christians, not just students. He's sitting here, Jesus is, and naturally he, he brings the disciples to a point where they often see with the disciples where I feel like they think they know what Jesus is doing and they realize, oh, man, he has a way bigger plan than me. It's like, the, and then, of, of course, we're going to see who speaks up. But in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came into this district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And after probably a pause, I would assume, there's a period there, and in its context, they're sitting there having a conversation at Caesarea Philippi. And then he asked, who do you, asked, who do you say I am, and, and who's the one that responds? Simon Peter, good old Peter always speaking up. He's the one that jumps out of the boat. He's the one that hang, wants to do everything. He's hasty, but he's passionate. 
Some of us would be that person. But he goes on to say, you are the Christ. In other words, you have fulfilled these prophecies. We see that you're Jesus, you're Lord. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, said, blessed are you. And he says, Simon and Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who's in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter. And a lot of people would assume when he says on this rock, they're talking about Peter. He's not. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Talks about giving the keys to the kingdom and so on. Because Peter, and we're talking about preaching and all the stuff that happens at Pentecost and stuff. A lot of people say, oh, man, like Peter was the star of the church. No. What he's saying is, if you look in the context of it, uh, your pastor Chris actually sent me some cool pictures, I think, when he was in the Holy Land of this location. Caesarea Philippi, you, you would equate it to like this, the, the, the most prominent city uh, that we would today look at and say, man, that's where the hot spot of everything is. Today in our culture, like what is that in America? What some might say, you know, New York City or Hollywood or whatever. It's that place of a mixture of people with all kinds of godlessness going on. And there, it's just pagan rituals and practices and sacrifices and looking for gods. And they worship Caesar Augustus. They're calling him the Prince of Peace. And there's no coincidences with God. So he says, this is out Mount Hermon, this place that from 500 miles, the, the human eye can see it. This is a place that physically is a rock, a pillar. It's this massive giant of influence. And of all the places Jesus could have picked, he goes here and says, this is where I'm going to build my church. And they're like, wait, what? Like, couldn't we have done it somewhere a little more convenient, a little easier? And he's like, no, this is where I'm going to build my church, where they're making sacrifice. They're, kill- they're killing kids. Sounds like America, right? Like, it's happening. Things see, like our whole world, there's sacrifices being made. And there's an abuse of culture, and there's self selfishness and conceitedness and this lostness. It's all over. It's rampant, and, and it's happening in Caesarea Philippi. And this is a, a spirit, this giant, this, this influential place. And God says, this is where I'm building my, my church. And they're like, yeah, but, Lord, that, that's a little too uncomfortable. Like, why would you pick here? But he says, how does this translate to the Christian today? You have to, like, really bring it into focus of your life and say, okay, if God's saying, I'm going to do something, it is not based on your preferences. Because he's the God that has the ways that's higher than our ways. The knowledge that's more than ours. And he says he's the one that's all-powerful. So what's the truth you can take from it? That way he builds his kingdom where he sees fit. He doesn't ask for your approval. He asks for your participation and obedience in it. So when he calls you into something, he says, why LaGrange, Texas? Like if, you're being, if we're really being kind of getting down to it, it's like that's the Caesarea Philippi of your day. Like you're like, well, we're LaGrange, Texas. We're not Austin. We're not this yet. But here you have influence. You don't live in Austin. You don't live in New York City. So you live here. So why did God put you here? If he sat you down, he'd say, for such a time as this. Because I called you into salvation, and if I called you just to be saved, I would let you do your self-preservation thing. But no, you have to grow, and then the church has to grow. Well, the only way people know is by hearing the one that knows Jesus, because that's who he uses, right? We're his voice. We love to be his hands and feet. We can serve all day long, and which is cool. But to speak of God, man, that starts to hit in a different way. So then it challenges your knowledge. It challenges your convictions. So, you know, we're like the, like in a lot of times the entry, what they call like the easiest way to get involved in a church is to serve in a practical way. And I love it. You should. 
But if we were to say the easiest, the best way we want you to start in serving us, if you're a Christian, is we're going to start evangelizing, going door to door. How big would that group be, right? Everybody like, I don't know, can I just do something else? But God say, no, that's what he's called us to. But it's in the way we live. It's something about when they see us, they're like, oh, okay, it's more than just a claim on a Sunday. This is what God's getting to is to try to help us hammer out this truth. That God's going to build his kingdom where he sees fit. Because he said, you're, you're, you're Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and what God doesn't want us to do is become these religious people that are, because the gospel doesn't produce arrogance. The gospel should not produce this, this pious mentality of look at me and shame on them. Right? So when, when we look at the culture, and, and this is funny because I think I said in the first service, it's like we look at the lost man and lost woman sometimes and we, we kind of set a standard that why aren't they doing fill in the blank? Why would they live this way? Because they're lost. That's all they know. He, calls, he tells us we're literally blind. Our ears are deaf to the truth. And so when a man or a woman or a young person gets saved, it's a miraculous work. Because the Holy Spirit of God has pierced their heart and their life and the truth has set on their heart and mind to radically transform them to say, oh, you don't just know about God, you're willing to surrender your life to God. Because the devil knows and trembles. But we go from knowledge of God to following God. I'm telling you, in my, in my city, I can say I'm a Christian and a lot of people say, so am I, but they have no clue what that means. But when I say, are you a Christ follower? We have to hammer out the definition of that because the Christ follower is it implies a repentance of sin and trusting in God. Just the same way you practically see, oh, hey, when Jesus said, follow me to his disciples, they literally had to follow him. They had to be with him. And so and when you're with him, that's where you see the growth. When you're with him, that's where you see God work. He could not talk to the disciples when they're fishing on the water and he's somewhere else. He says, you got to be with me. And when you're with him, you're going to hear from him. So God calls us to pursue him. He tells us in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory to the day of eternity. And he tells us, how do you know God? How do you pursue God? Because the Holy Spirit allowed, like when he said to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. He's showing them like all these sacrifices can't show you this. All these people in the city are making human sacrifices and animal sacrifices and doing all kinds of things that that's not going to do it. He said the Holy Spirit of God has to work and he does. And when the Holy Spirit of God reveals it and starts to work, you get to participate in it, and, but you have to pursue him. I told the students this week, that you have to keep in step with the spirit you have to follow god and when you do when your passion of life is christ and you start to satisfy that appetite the other passions in your life will start to weaken and shrink and that appetite for god grows the appetite for the other things that the once the lost man wanted your appetite will start to shrink in that but you have to continually walk with jesus we don't arrive as christians do we we don't ever get to this point of we're fully glorified on this earth. But isn't it funny as we grow and as we go in life as a Christian, it goes from this incredible excitement of, man, I'm rescued. But all of a sudden we start to wonder if God can work in a daily basis and he rescues our soul from eternity. But I don't know if he can handle my whatever, right? And we, at, some, at some point we act as if we can, you know, kind of check out and say, well, the passion is for this person. So we get frustrated with teenagers because they're not passionate about Jesus. But they look at us and they say, well, well you know, here, here's, a, here's a tough stat. 
I'm going to tell you, I'm going to jump the gun, but I read the last uh, service, and here's something that kind of is a real call for us. And it's not just the parents, but it's for the adults in churches today. This may not be you, and if it's not, praise God. But what stats are telling us is that if people say, well, why are teenagers in this culture, because I'm with teenagers a lot, why are they leaving this faith? One, because it's artificial stuff. They see this emotionalism and like this church thing, and they, they show up, and when they leave, they're unaffected because that's what they're seeing. And so like when they see us so passionate about so many things in our life except the things of God, there's a contradiction. Like I'm telling you, I, I, like, I love sports. I love fishing, right? Like that's, I'm, I'm doing those things, but my kids play sports. I love the Gators because they're, they're terrible, but I love the Gators. And I love the Jaguars, and they're equally horrible, I think. But, like, when we, we go to the games and we do these things, I'm telling you, you're talking about passion, right? Like, people painted from head to toe. People losing their ever-loving mind. One guy proclaimed his belief in God based on the fact that the Jaguars won and went into the playoffs last year. He was sitting right next to me. He's like, there is a God. After all the profane lace things he said about our coaches and players. I was like, you believe there's a God because they just won on a pick six? I mean, come on, man. And so, so much excitement around a team and he knows no one. We're sitting in the third level. I mean, the loser's level. We have no connections. But it affected his life so much that they were willing to hug strangers, to embrace and to celebrate and try to hug me and my son. I was like, that's too much. Calm down. And so, but I'm like, look, bro, like if you can be that passionate and I, and I, it's a great teaching moment for my son. And we, look, we celebrated too. We're, we're, we're stoked, right? We're divisional champs for the first time in forever. And we're driving on. I said, and I told my son Titus, I said, you know, it's funny. Isn't it funny? It's a perfect picture of how things play out in our world. Could you imagine if we as Christians, when we say, you know, death was arrested and all this stuff, we sing it like with so much passion that we're coming in here with Jesus jerseys and stuff, right? Like, oh my gosh, like we're so excited. We can't wait. Like people line up for games. They park miles away and pay tons of money to go to a game, to worship a false idol, and then go home disappointed. And we come to church if it's convenient and the traffic's not too bad. And if the place gets our coffee right, God forbid they don't. And so we can't plug into Jesus unless all these little things are right. And we are so like culturally Christian that we have forgotten about this intimacy that comes with God. And he says, if you base your Christianity and your love for Jesus on a weekend service, you have lost sight of what Christianity is. And so I tell you this to say, I hope and pray that across America it's happening. I hope, and I hope it never happens here, that we don't start to look like this, what I read in Timothy. That we are religious, we claim God, but we lack his power. Because we only claim God in convenience. We like, but when it gets tough, man... Like, like, let's, let's not go there. Like, it's a little too uncomfortable. So this writer wrote this about students, about teens today. 80% plus, by the way, are leaving the church after high school, and they don't come back. That's not all our fault, right? Some of it could be. But part of what they're realizing, they say, teenagers base their life, uh, the way they live, their system of beliefs and how it plays on their life, it's based off what they see in their homes. And whether you like it or not, it's true. 
And, and the exception is when God does a work in a student's life, and God can, right? He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And I've seen kid after kid after kid come to faith in Christ and love Jesus despite a tough circumstance. But more times than not, what they're seeing in our culture today is this cultural Christianity. It's this claiming God and denying his power. Is that parents are more passionate about sports and will invest so much money, right? This is like, this is the tough stuff, right? We invest so much passion behind it. That it's all consuming to where if my kid isn't in this, I'll get them in church. Or if we don't have these plans, we'll be there. Or if it's convenient, if we're not binge watching this, we'll have a devotional time. And it's like, okay, that's where we're at. I told the kids, 15 minutes is, uh, sounds, it's an interesting number. It's it's not much time depending on where you're at. If I tell you I'm preaching 15 more minutes, you're probably going to think it's too long. So, but the point is, 15 minutes is the average amount of time they say Christian students say they spend with Jesus in a week. And in his word, that includes posts on social media, that includes the verse of the day on version. Here's the tough part, is that the adult statistic does not change much for the claiming Christian. That there's not much more time spent in the word for the adult Christian. And so... How else are we supposed to, how are we supposed to view our lives? I think how can we fill to the Spirit and love Jesus and have, be ready to give the truth or the, of the hope that's within us, as Peter tells us? How can we do that if we're spiritually malnourished? So we're not, we're not feeding ourselves with what, what satisfies our heart for God. We're, we're too full already on the things of the world. So he says, well, who do you say I am? Well, you're God. But when, when am I God? Well, he says, I'm God always. And I'm going to build my church. Are you going to be part of it? And he's saying, do you believe? Yes, I believe. Okay, well, if you believe, I need you to put that belief in action. I need you to obediently trust me. So this one writer said, if teenagers, if our kids today in our culture, if they lack an articulate faith, in other words, if they, if they lack the ability to explain the gospel, the gospel is so simple. And when I ask somebody, are you a Christian at... I had a young man uh, recently, I don't know if I should tell this, my daughter's probably watching. So let's just be vague. There was a young man that called a dad that liked his daughter, okay? And he said, hey, I like your daughter. And this dad, let's call him Mark from Florida. I was like, you like my daughter? Good, because I like my daughter. And he was like, well, I guess a lot of people like my daughter. I'm like, okay, what's the next thing you want to tell me? And so, because I was like, where do you live, bro? I'm like, let me go find you and let's have a little chat. And so I said, okay, great. But, like, so, what's, so let me ask you something. And Because, uh, you know, it's like, you know, when you're 14, you're so passionate about love. And I was like, yeah, you're like, you know, it's all that stuff. And I'm like, okay. I said, I'll tell you what. Let me ask you something. Do you, do you believe in Jesus? He's like, well, I was just calling you about your daughter. <laughs> no, do you believe in Jesus, right? Like, he's like, whoa. I said, tell me who Jesus is to you. Like, are you a Christian? Yes, sweet. Tell me, lead me to Jesus, because if I don't know Jesus, I need to know. That should be simple. The simplest form of that is your testimony. I was lost and I've been found. There was a sin problem and Jesus fixed it. I put my faith and trust in him. He said, if you call on my name and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you will be saved. But we complicate it. And we're like, oh, and he said, well, you know, I go to church. I believe that there's a heaven. I'm like, okay, well, a lot of people do that. But I'm still lost if we're having this conversation. So the reality is, like, 
to be able to articulate a faith is, is to just simply know. And if we're not investing our lives in, in the truth, how are we going to know? In culture, this, this makes perfect sense, by the way. You ask the lost man, you go to a heart doctor, and he starts working on your toes, but he's supposed to do surgery on your heart, and he's listening to your feet. Don't you think there's something wrong? He can't even explain the heart. You're like, that doesn't make sense. But in the same thing, culture, the lost culture will tell you the same thing. If you claim Jesus and you can't explain it, that does not make sense. It doesn't make sense because you should be able to explain it. You should know the scripture. Hide his word in your heart. The, the underground church in China is doing it. I, I think it told that story or told in the last service. I don't remember now. I've preached so many times. But it's like when you, they're, they're doing it, they're memorizing it because they can't have a Bible. And so they hide his word in his heart. They keep it there. Because he says, so we, we should do it. Teenagers lack an articulate faith. Maybe because they say, this writer says, because the faith that we show them, many of us are showing them, is it because it's too spineless to merit much in the way of conversation? And then it's, it's really a, a call to the, the people that claim Jesus today. It says, maybe young people today have the inability to talk about Jesus it's because not because the church inspires this deep faith that that's hard to explain, but rather this God's story that is being told is too shallow and vapid to merit any kind of superficial vocabulary. Like it's it's just like to merit more than a super superficial vocabulary, I should say. So it's like we're in this culture where it's like we tell them to. to you know, do this and work hard at this and get good grades and practice hard to play well. And my kids are in all those things. But if I'm not equal, if I'm celebrating that more than Jesus in their life, my priorities are out of whack. So I'm saying, look, yes, like, okay, fine, you can do this and you can play sports and use your gifts and talents. But if you're not using it as a platform for the glory of God, that is not overly spiritual. And we try to treat it as such. Like, oh, like that's so like, oh, too, isn't that a little spiritual? Like if you're going to say, well, I got to be a witness in my workplace and at the, where I go to shop and with my, my peers and all this. No, that's not. That's what God called you to do. He said, I'm going to build my church. It is not for your preferential treatment and how you like it. It's to get out of what you're comfortable in and tell this culture it's okay to say, hey, you're lost. And, and it's tough to hear. If you remember when you came to faith in Christ, there was probably a time, especially if you got saved later in life, there was times where you hated that message. You're like, Ugh, I don't want to hear. What do you mean I'm lost? Like, that's arrogant to say. Like, well, it's arrogant to deny this God, right, in our pride and our sin, but we don't know. But for God, for with all humility, you know how people believe in this truth you speak of? It's because they see it consistent in your life. And consistency and faithfulness will produce fruit. You will see God work. And I mentioned the students, I planted a, a lemon tree. It's Florida, it's just has citrus, I don't know, whatever. So I planted a lemon tree. And it's, they, say, they said it, took like, it takes like two to three years to get fruit. Now, if you plant veggies and fruit, that's ridiculous, right? I was like, can we put Miracle Girl, like something to get it growing faster? Like, let's, let's go. Like, I, I want some lemons. So uh, I need to survive off my land with lemons. Only thing I have planted. And so, but I'm like, okay, if, if we apply, what we understand is faithfulness 
It's, it's a commitment. It's a constant understanding of God in your life. That Who do you say I am? When times get tough, when times get challenging, it's just working through and staying faithful because you will see fruit. It's just not a, we are in a culture of instant gratification. That is not how God works. He will work sometimes immediately, and other times he will challenge you and see where your faith is and say, do you, you really believe and mean that the fact, the fact that you claim, like, I am who I say I am. I am God. And if you trust me, like, what does that look like when times get tough? We all love Jesus when, on the mountaintop, right? But, man, we need him in the valley. We just tend to forget he is the same God. In fact, if we're not careful, we're going to put our blame on God. Instead of on the brokenness of sin in our life. And we get mad of well, our family members get sick and they die and, and have cancer. Uh, you know, I just kissed my sweet grandma goodbye uh, two months ago. The godliest lady in my family, the matriarch of her family, completely healthy, goes to the doctor, lives two weeks because she has stage four cancer. Because she thought she had pneumonia. And I was like, you're talking about a, like, oh man, who, who are you to me, God? God, you're good. My grandma is celebrating the fact of what I'm doing in my life, and I talked to her on the phone, and she says she's praised for me, and I, I love it because I know she is. And then all of a sudden, that's ripped away, and I realize, man, I don't even have that prayer warrior in my life anymore. My life is fragile. Like, and like God's like, but who, who do you say I am? Are you? And I'm like, okay, you're God. And, and, I, and I get frustrated for a second, but then I realize, man, I'm not like, come on, God, I don't like you. It's like I hate sin because it messes stuff up. And until we're fully glorified, you're going to deal with brokenness. You are not exempt. But thank God that we have the one that works us through that stuff. And I'm telling you, my grandmother would never trade heaven now to come back and deal with what she's dealt with. But she was faithful. And, and so when we realize God's asking this question of who do you say I am? And I have Joel come up and, and the guys come up to close us. But with that being said... The question is posed. He's asking this for a reason. He said, because I'm, I'm telling you, the culture is here. The mountaintop, it's here. People look at not just LaGrange, not just Texas, but America. They look at Christianity and say, what's it all about? And is this legitimate? Is it something I can give my life to? And if they see this religious practice that when Christians leave these doors and go into LaGrange, is all they see is like beat down, frustrated, angry, judgmental, whatever. It's like because we have lost sight of what it means to be with Jesus. You have to be with him. You have to sit with him. You have to meditate on his word. And so all those things are going to build in you this joy of the Lord so that in the worst of moments, God is still God. And through your troubles and through your good times, people say, oh, okay, I need that. Like, I need that. What is that? His name is Jesus. And so for you, if you're alive today, if you have breath in your lungs, God said, there is a reason you're here. There's a reason I put you in the grain. There's a reason you have your job. There's a reason you have your family. There's a reason you are whatever age you are is to influence somebody because that God that loves you loves the whole world. He loves the whole world. The worst of the worst and the best of the best. So be careful because I told these students all weekend, live unashamed. Live unashamed. So get rid of this apathetic mentality and start to dig into who God is because if you're basing it on a youth ministry, you're going to be disappointed. If you're basing it on a man, you're going to be disappointed unless you base your faith on Christ Jesus. And when you do, you will never be disappointed in him. You get frustrated. You're not going to understand God always. But he said his ways are higher than our ways. 
And his, his love is incredible. And what he does is, is just so powerful. And so when you become that person or more like Jesus and they see Jesus in you and their actions and your words, they start to come together. They're like, man, that's the, I need that. So who's God calling you to be? He's calling you to be faithful. He's calling you to answer the question of who do you say I am? And when, when the cultural times are tough, and they are, when, when you're robbed of your comforts, he's saying, who am I to you? Okay, and when he, when he provides, he provides. And he gives you your needs. If he gave us everything we wanted, we'd walk in this arrogance and this comfortability. He will supply your needs. But all your wants, maybe not. Maybe because we start to rely on ourselves too much. But I'm telling you, he's been faithful. In this last year, I've seen God do stuff I can't explain. And he's provided for my family down to the stinking penny of what we need to pay the bills. And it's like, okay, only because he's God. And there was times where I'm mean, God, I'm, I'm past like the trust. It's past the 11th hour. I need you to like help me out here. And he brings us to the point of saying, okay, here's what you need. And he gives it to you. And he said, now go be faithful tomorrow. Don't worry about all that other stuff. I'm going to take care of it. But be faithful. Because I'll provide. So by the goodness of God, I pray that this weekend is, is a catalyst. Encourage these students. But be a testimony to these students. Hug a student. Love a student. Say, hey, God's got a big purpose and a plan for your life. Because they hear too much garbage anyway. They need to be encouraged. Don't size them up and say they're worthless or not. If God's got them here and he's got you here, it's for a reason. Because he's saying, who do you say I am? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we love you. I thank you for your grace. And now, Lord, as we leave here, can Lord, I just plead the blood of Jesus and your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do, oh God, is to affect us in a way that nothing else can. When all these things we do daily, if it's just task, if it's just to get through a day, we're losing sight of the mission. It's to look like you and to grow in you so that we will be a, the voice for those who are lost. That, that Help us to remember that somebody cared enough to love us enough to lead us to you, Jesus. And I pray that that continues on for generation to generation where we love you and your church grows because we're faithful and we trust you beyond what we can see. So we thank you again for your grace. And this is your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.